Today we begin our Christmas series called The Story. This will be on the screen. A lot of this message will be on the screen. The Bible is filled with many wonderful promises. They estimate that there's anywhere between, some say 3,500, some say over 5,000 different promises. And in fact, the word promise itself is in the scripture over 50 times. We love the promises of God. And what those promises are, the promises are those strong anchors for our lives. You know, life is not always easy. In fact, most days have their certain struggles, and certainly not every day is as hard as some days. But in those days when the winds blow strongly, it's in those days that we have the promises of God, the promises of His peace, of His faithfulness, of His grace. And the promises, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, all the promises of God are yea and amen. And the, but they're not just yea and amen, they're yea and amen in Christ. All the promises are made available to us in Christ. We receive everything from salvation to sanctification to the filling of the Spirit to the blessing of God. They all come through our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they're those strong anchors. But today, as we begin our Christmas series, the overarching series called The Story, we're going to talk about a promise. We're going to talk about the greatest of all the promises in the Bible, and that's simply this, the promise of a Messiah. That's the title of our message today, The Promise of a Messiah. It's been said that if our, if our greatest need was information, then he would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need in the human race is forgiveness. So therefore, he sent us a Savior. Hallelujah to God. I want you to listen to the great words of the great prophet Isaiah. In the beginning in the ninth chapter, six verse, two verses. This will be on the screen. For unto us a child is given, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward evermore, forever, uh, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I don't know about you, but I love those names. I love to see them. I love to hear them read. I love to see them on the pages of scripture. I love them on Christmas cards. I love them in songs. He is the mighty God or the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And what is this? This is the promise of a Messiah. In this message, the story, the promise of Messiah, we'll finish up. We'll, we'll start in two weeks from now. We'll come again with, with another message in this series. I want to talk about uh, the characteristic of our story. And I want to use 
When I say our story, I'm talking about our gospel that we hold here, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, there's not four gospels. There's one gospel. It's just told in four different ways and four different, four different aspects. There's one gospel. It is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I use that word, the story, I'm talking about the gospel found in the very word of God, the promise of a Messiah. I thought about this old hymn that we often sing during Christmas, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We know that Emmanuel means God with us. His name should be called Emmanuel, God with us. And the coming of Jesus is that, God coming to be with us. It goes like this, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know how the tune goes, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That mourns in, in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Another verse goes like this. O desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Isn't that what we need today? The, the chorus Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Hear this. Shall come to thee, O Israel. And isn't that what happened 2,000 years? God promised a Messiah to the world. He promised Messiah to a specific people. And that is the Jewish people. We should love the Jewish people. Now, not all Jewish people are saved just because they're Jewish, but we should love them because our Messiah was given to us as a Jewish Messiah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it's our story. First of all, I would say this, that this story, our story, the gospel, is the greatest story ever told. None greater. Many great stories in the world. I like great stories. I like great books. But there's none greater than this story right here. And the reason there's none greater is because this story accomplishes the greatest purpose anyone ever sought to conceive. And that is simply this, the redemption of Adam's fallen race. Adam's fallen race, fallen so far down in spiritual death. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And, we, and they died, and we've been dying ever since. God coming in the person of his son, reaching down, lifting Adam's race, us out of spiritual death into spiritual life. Hallelujah to God. Now, talking about the story, I don't like sad endings to stories. Now, some people are a little morbid. They like kind of sad endings and sad stuff. I don't like sad endings to stories. I like happy endings to stories. I like it when the guy gets the girl or when the thing, everything works out and, you know, when, uh, you know, the twist goes and everybody's happy at the end and everyone was happy ever after, right? But I've seen some movies and I'm thinking of a movie I saw one time and at the end it was just, I was like, that's terrible. It was a great movie and at the end it, it, it was terrible. It didn't work out and I was like, I hate that movie. I liked it up until then, but I didn't like it because I don't like sad endings. I like happy endings. But as a minister of the gospel, we have to speak truth. And the truth about our story is it has both in it. 
This story of the gospel has a happy ending, a wonderful ending for some, but a horrible ending for others. Why? Because it's predicated on humanity's response to Jesus and his gospel. He that believes in the Son has life, has everlasting life. He that does not believe in the Son does not, will, not, will not see life. Why did God have to send his Son? Why did God promise a Messiah? What was the reason behind that? What's the issue here? In the assemblies of God, of which we're part of, we have 16 tenets called the 16 fundamentals. And there's one of them, one of the fundamentals that tells us why Jesus had to come. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these very quickly, just being, being, being really bullet point. But we're going to come to one. I'm going to come back to it. Here's our 16 fundamentals. And I'm going to show you one where why Jesus had to come. The tenets of our faith, 16 of them. Here they are. Number one, the inspired scripture. That means the Bible is a divinely given book. It is filled with divine truth given by God, the inspired scripture. The one true God. That's, I wrote here. That's Trinity life. The one true God. Come on, say it with me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then there is the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means simply this. Jesus was more than a man. He's God. When Jesus came, that's God coming. Emmanuel, God. Then there is the fall of man. That means man is separated from God by sin. I'll come back to that one. The fall of man. Then there's the salvation of man. That means that God, the Trinity, the, our one true God, provided a way of salvation. Then there is the ordinance of the church. That's water baptism and communion. Then there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the endowment of power for the believer. Then there is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the initial physical evidence of, with speaking with tongues. Then there is the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification means to be holy, to be dedicated to God. Then there's the church and its mission. That means all saved persons are members of the body. And that means that all members or to be a part of the Great Commission, sharing the gospel and winning people to Christ. Then there is the ministry doctrine. That means that there's a divinely called persons that God calls to lead his work and his ministry. Then there's divine healing. That's physical healing by supernatural means. Then there's the blessed hope. That is the, the, the doctrine of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. Then there's the doctrine of the millennial reign of Christ, which is Christ will come to this earth. He will come the second time and he will rule on this earth a thousand years. Two more. The final judgment, that's a judgment of the wicked dead, those who reject Christ in this life. And then there's the new heaven and new earth. That means that God will create a whole new world. Remember that? That song, Disney song, a whole new world. Okay. All right. I do have kids and grandkids. All right. Well, that whole new world is not this one. This is a whole new world where there will be righteousness. How I many you know we need righteousness in our world? We're in desperate need of righteousness. God will, finally, God will finish his plan that he began with Adam. He, listen to this. He will create a, a completely new world and wonderful world where he can live with his people. God among men again on the earth. That's the 16 doctrines. Which one of these do you think is the reason Jesus had to come? But he say this with me, the fall of man. Man is a fallen creature. 
He is separated from God by his sin. Our doctrinal statement under this says this, man was created good and upright for God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There was no sin in man until the fall. However, by man by his voluntary transgression fell and thereby incurred not only physical death, but also spiritual death, which is separation from God. This story that I bring to you today of the promise of Messiah is the greatest story ever told, but because it accomplishes the greatest purposes known to man, and that is it leads fallen man back into a relationship with God. In other words, it's salvation story. It's our story of the love and the mercy of our God in the Savior. Now let me, let me, let's characterize the story because that's, here's the core of the message today. The core of the message is this. I want, just like you would describe poetry or you would describe some story, this is narrative, the story written by whoever was like this. I want to tell you the characteristic nature of our story and how amazing it is. The story, hear this. The story of God coming into the world in the babe, in the manger, the advent, the announce, all that characterizes that. It's the most amazing story. It's the greatest story there is. What kind of story is it? Let me give you some words that I've written down to describe our story. First of all, I would describe it as an unusual story. This is an unusual story. Let's, let's be honest here. When you, when, you, when you look at this story of Christ coming in the world to the natural thinking mind, it's an unusual story. And I would say this to, to, the, to the natural man who says, the scripture says that the, the things of God to the natural man are foolishness to them. But it's an amazing story. So let's think about it. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of prophecies before the birth of Jesus, that would describe it. I mean, it's, a, it's really amazing. They, they identify some 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that point to our Savior. There, there have been said there are 60 major prophecies. Now, there are prophecies about Christ that talk about him specifically coming. Some talk about what he's going to be like. But there are 60 major prophecies. Do you know what the chances are that one human being would fulfill those prophecies in one person. All those hundreds of prophecies, it is impossible. Impossible. In other words, it, Christ coming in the world, a certain place, a certain time, a certain where he would be, all these things focusing and, and, and appearing in Christ is astronomically, mathematically impossible that it could have happened. But we don't serve a possible God. We serve a God of the, impo- or we serve a God of the impossible. He does the impossible. Not just natural. We're talking about supernatural. The birth of Christ was supernatural. And so the answer is the chances are staggeringly impossible. It's an unusual story about an amazing God. Think about this. A young Jewish girl pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what people would say and what they did say? We be not born of fornication. Years later, Jesus is over 30 years old. They're still throwing this up in his face, right? 
We be not born. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about his mother, Mary. I'm sure he wanted to punch him out. Talking about me. Don't talk about mama, right? I'm telling you, this is an unusual story about an amazing God. Why is it unusual? It's unusual because man would never have conceived it in his finite mind. This is the work of an infinite God, of infinite wisdom. It's how God wanted to do it. And I believe every word of it. It's an amazing story. It's our story. It's God's story. And it's unusual. A Jewish girl with child by the Holy Spirit. Luke 135, the power of the most high will overshadow you. And that holy thing which is in you shall be the son of God. I don't know about you. That's unusual. Okay, it doesn't happen that way, right? All our kids got here another way. This is unusual. It's holy. Unusual. The Jewish people moving all over the Roman world because of a decree of Caesar Augustus at a certain time. God said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We were just there. We were just there. Bethlehem, not just Bethlehem. There was other Bethlehems. Bethlehem Ephrathah. Certain place, certain time, perfect. So what does God do? God says, I'll just shuffle the whole world around. So God took his fingers and just caused one leader to do one thing. To, I mean, you know, God can get us where he wants us to be. Perfect timing. Young Jewish girl, pregnant by the power of miracle power of the Holy Spirit, riding some hundred miles to get to the place of their birth, Bethlehem of Ephrathah. It's a very strange, unusual story. Angels appear from heaven to announce Jesus' birth to shepherds. We had a chance to go to the shepherd's cave. We worshiped and sang there in Bethlehem. Those shepherds were there and those angels appeared and began to proclaim the announcement that Christ had been born. Messiah had been born. That's unusual. Jesus, God, God, the son, creator of the world, born in a manger. In a stable. No room for God. No room in the inn. So just a trough. It's an unusual story. If some great potentate, if some great king, if some great dignitary were to come in this world, they would roll out the red carpet. Not for God. Not for God's son. It's an unusual story. A stable. The smell. The animals. What a story. When Jesus was taken to the temple at the eighth day to be dedicated, the eighth day is when the blood coagulated. There were two old people there. Let me tell you, you white-haired saints, God has a work for you to do. You shall be flourishing in the house of the Lord in old age. Anna and Simeon were there to prophesy unusual things to Mary and Joseph. It was so astounding. She just had to treasure them up in her heart. Wise men come. 
from the east because they see some crazy star. We saw his star. We saw what? You're just following a light? Some supernatural light, some supernatural star that God allowed to appear that led them sometime later, we believe. They say up to, he could have been two years old. But they came and said, why are you here? We're here to see the king of the Jews. What? Would you agree with me? This is an unusual story in its nature. But the reason it's unusual, once again, is because it wasn't conceived in the mind of man. It was conceived in the divine, perfect mind of God. Eye has not seen, nor is ear heard, neither is entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. It's been written down. It's our story. It's God's story. It's the gospel story. And certainly it's an unusual story because God wanted it to be that way. Unusual to us, not to him. I could never imagine no man would have ever conceived God coming in flesh. But he did. I believe it because it's true. I quoted this last week. I'll read it. By this we know the spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And what it says there, every spirit, it means every man or woman speaking, purporting to speak for God, to speak by inspiration of the spirit. If, listen, if it's the Holy Spirit, they're going to say, we confess Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. I confess that before you today. Jesus Christ did come in the flesh. He was here 2,000 years ago. He is the God-man. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. When you see Jesus, you see God. Why did he come? Because we had sunk so low. Fallen creatures full of sin, not able to get up. So God came to where we are. What a unique story it is. See, Christianity is, is different than any other religion in the world. 90 99% 99.999% of all the religions in the world are about what you have to do. You have to do this. You have to crawl on some of these South American deal. They crawl on their knees and they're bloody and they go to the statue and they put hooks in their flesh and they do, they make penance and all this and that. That's not what Christians do. You, I can't climb up to heaven to get to God. Romans says that. It indicates that. You can't climb up to heaven. I'm, I'm going to do some good deed and get to God. You'll never get to God that way. No one will. Our story, the story, is that God came to us because we could never get to God. And didn't he come in an unusual, marvelous way? For, for the law, what the, what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh, through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. It's an unusual story. You say, well, what's this book about? 
if you hand this book to someone, what's, what's your story about? You would never say, oh, it's the most boring thing in the world. You say, let me tell you something. That thing there sees part. God speaks and worlds are created. God sent his son in a baby. What? I'm going to get, that's an unusual story. I'm going to read that story. Yes, and it'll take you all the way to, crawl, to the cross. It'll cause you to repent and get right. It's a book of salvation. Hallelujah. It's an unusual story, but a wonderful story. Let me give you another word. Not only unusual, it's an unappreciated, unappreciated story. In our nation, Christmas comes and goes. Families do all the things they do. And in our nation today, there'll be, there'll be families with little children and even older children. They'll never one time stop to read the Christmas story. They'll never one time stop and say, let's talk about why the, the Christmas is Christmas, what it's all about. And they'll never stop to pray and to give thanks to God for sending his son into the world. Not even one single time. But the truth is that our world's not any different than Jesus, the world that he was born into. You would have thought crowds would have flocked to the manger. You would have thought all the religious leaders that knew the word of God would have flocked there. You would have thought all the kings and all the leaders would have come. Messiah, we've longed for Messiah. Isaiah prophesied that one would come who would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You would have thought multitudes would have come. Nope. A few dirty shepherds and later the wise men. Why? He was unappreciated. And in our world today, for the most part, our own nation that we have in our money and God we trust, most folks won't take two minutes to even go to a church service, too inconvenient, too much. They won't even come to a church service, uh, whatever kind of service on the side, to worship the God who offers them salvation. It's an unappreciated story. Even here we see that, that Herod the Great, which was a master engineer, we went to Masada, built by him. We went to the Wailing Wall, built, built and expanded by him. We went to the other place where he built. It was incredible. He built Caesarea. Incredible. This Herod tried to kill Jesus. Now, you know there's like five different Herods. You know, sometimes you read, yeah, that's the same one. No, it's not the same one. The same devil in them all, it seemed like. This is Herod the Great. Killed all his wives. Josephus says that he liked the one, and he said he regretted killing her. Wasn't he a compassionate guy? Man, I killed her. Oh, my. And then he did something that was so gross that I will not mention in this congregation. I'll tell men later. But it was so gross and vile that you would throw up almost to hear what this, this is the Herod. Here's what it says. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death, notice this, put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. Notice this, not just in Bethlehem, and in all the districts from two years old and under to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Thus was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. This is Jeremiah quotation. Refusing to be comforted because they were no more. All these precious little boys, all these precious Jewish children, 
two years old and under. Can you imagine soldiers coming, not just in Bethlehem, but in the district all around there? Why? Herod wanted no rival. He wanted no rival. I will be king, no rival. But isn't it, in, a, in another sense, the same way our nation said, no rival. We don't want anybody. We're, we're going to run our lives. We're going to run our nation. We don't want the word of God. He's not welcome in our end. He's not welcome in our heart. And we kill him, and we put him out of our lives because we want to be king. What kind of story is this? It's unusual. It's unappreciated. He came to his own Jewish nation. They didn't want him. God came, but they didn't want him. John says, the true light, which gives light to every man coming in the world. I love, uh, I've always been fascinated with, with Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, especially out of the New American Standard. It's just fascinating how God, in many times and in many ways, spoke through the prophets. And the NASB says, in many portions I thought, that is like a, what's it, like a pie? Many portions. But you know what it's talking about? There was light in the Old Testament. Je Isaiah was a light. He spoke as a prophetic light, but not the full light. He just reflected the light. But all of a sudden, he, Jesus came. He was the true light. He was the promised Messiah coming into the world. But notice what it says. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own <coughs> did not receive His own did not receive him. I'm going to need some water, please. I'll take your water. Thank you. I don't drink after people much, but at least she's in my family. Come on. My little daughter, I'll drink up for you. Thank you. Ice is good too. Thank you, sweetie. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. I am healed in Jesus' name. Come on, I got hands laid on. I'm going to be healed, all right? I'm going to press on through it. What kind of... Thank you, brother. I love this guy here. My brother, Jim. Oh, brother Robert. Hey, hug him for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, that was our intermission. Can we go again? All right, I'm almost done. I remember reading Finney one time, his autobiography. He said, I'd been very, very sick. And he said, uh, he said but <clears throat> I recovered, and he said, I was able to go to the church house and preach my normal hour and a half as I normally did. I thought, wow, times would be a changing around here in America. What kind of story is this? Quickly, it's it's an it's a unusual story of miracles, signs, wonders, not natural, supernatural. It's astounding. Don't read it with new eyes. It's Christmas. See the miracles. See the signs. See the unusualness of it that just captures and says, "God, you're so amazing. How could God get in a baby? But He can, because nothing's too hard for Him." But it's also an unappreciated story. Many children will grow up in our American homes, and they think Christmas is about Walmart. Jesus is never mentioned. Do your children and do our children think Christmas is about shopping or worship? Do our children think it's about church or the mall? 
the Bible or decorating lights, salvation or plays, a tree or the tree, the cross. I love the lights. I love everything about Christmas, but I'm certainly not leaving Jesus out. If I put up lights, I'm going to say that represents the light of the world, Jesus. It's an unappreciated story. Quickly, it's an unpretentious story. The story of God's coming in the world through his son, Jesus, is, is amazing humility. It's a demonstration of amazing unpretentiousness. The creator of the world veiled in human flesh. Jesus wasn't born in a palace, but a manger. He wasn't born to the powerful and to the wealthy, but to the poor and unassuming. He did not come with pomp and circumstance, but he came in obscurity. Often when stories are told about someone, they're told in a way to make the person look better than they actually are. Do you realize the Bible is told in such a way, the, the gospel story of Christ's first coming is told in such a way to do the very opposite. Amazing humility. God in a manger. God born to a little teenager. It's amazing. The gospel story is told in such a way as to veil his greatness. Even the religious leaders missed it. Because of his humility, they were looking for some military warrior, and he came as a servant. Listen to Isaiah. We'll land this. Listen to Isaiah. I begin in chapter, well, there's no chapters really. I mean, that's for us, but 52, 14 through 53, 3. Listen, please. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall go up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has, notice, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our face from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So humble. So unassuming. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They said. It's not it's the carpenter's son. They are not his brothers and his sisters with us. And Paul cries out and says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be equal, Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, but taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's an unassuming story. The greatness of humility. Quickly, it's an unblemished story. It's also an unfinished story. Listen, listen quickly. 
first coming is not just for us to sit around and say, oh, this is a great story. I tell you, he came. He left. It's not finished. He's coming again. He's returning again. The first coming was to deal with sin. He's coming with the second time. Without sin, Hebrews says, under salvation, he's coming to save us. He's coming to rescue us. Hallelujah. Lastly, I would say this. It's a universal story. It's a universal story. The shepherds, he said to the shepherds, the angels, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. You're going to receive a candle as we close in prayer. Brothers, would you pass these candles out? I want to give you a visual illustration as we close. Pass those candles out. Come on, brothers, go right ahead. Go ahead and pass those out. Everyone take a candle. Thank you, Lord. I'll give you water back. Thank you, Jesus. Could you play, please? Thank you, Jesus. Our story, the story, the promise of a Messiah is not meant to be kept in. It's meant to be shared. You know, there's these secret religions. I can't think of any right now. I know some of the Masonic secret stuff. And, you know, ours is not secret. I wish we had windows all around this place. People could see us lifting our hands, worshiping our Lord. And I wish there's speakers outside this building proclaiming Christ. Let me read this again. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Jesus is the light. One of our doctrines, I read it to you, is the church and its mission. Everyone's a part of the church. Everyone can be a part of building and sharing the story of Christ and his love. Our world's very dark. And if one person, one preacher tries to proclaim this message, it's just a little light. But God wants you to share your light. Amen. In your place of business, in your home, let the light shine. So what do we do? We, we share the light. Share the light. Amen. And then we share the light. Grace. How about let's light a light? Let's light a light of God's mercy and gospel this, this season. Let's share Christ's love this season. God, let your light shine. Do you know you have light in you? You know, they said, this little light of mine, let it shine. Jesus is called the light of the world. That's what the Bible says. Oh, God.
Thank you, Father. Notice what our Savior says. Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a, on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. How about let's shine our light this, this Christmas season? How about let's shine the love of Jesus? How about let's invite people to hear the gospel? Let's do our part. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Let's make a commitment right now. Father, we want to let our light shine. This light represents the gospel, the righteousness, the grace of our God. I pray that you'd let your light so shine through us that people are saved, people are delivered, people are healed. That they may see your good works and they glorify the Father which is in heaven. Father, as we start this Advent season, we make a commitment to your work. We pray that you'd feel, Lord, light has to have combustion and energy. And your energy in us is your spirit. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your spirit today. And Lord, I pray that you would open doors for us to share the grace of God. Even next week, let us invite people to our program. And our hope is that they will be saved. We worship you. We praise you. I want you to stand. just think about this. I'm going to have you blow these out in just a moment. But just think how one light and I lit her light and she lit her light and then think about what we can do together. Isn't that amazing what we can do together if we just let the grace of God shine through all of us. You're very important to the Lord. Young and old alike here, you are very important. You don't even know how important you are to the work of God here at Trinity Life. Just as a sign, before we blow these out, let's just hold them high. We're going to let it go high. We're going to let the world see it. We're not ashamed of you, Jesus. We're not ashamed of your gospel. Lord, let, it, let the light shine bright from this property. The days, months, and years ahead, let it burn so bright that it's just amazing. We're amazed at what you do. We surrender it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can blow that out. I just wanted you to see that. I want you, our ushers will take those when you go out. Let me pray for you. For, oh, you go ahead. Yeah, you can go ahead and take them. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I know I've gone. I know I've gone a little bit over, and you'll need to pick up your kids down there. But let me pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. pray a blessing on this sweet people. I pray that you would just continue to pour in grace, grace, and more grace. Meet every need. Lord, we just pray for many souls this week even. Meet our needs, but may you get all the glory in Christ's name. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you. 
as you're dismissed in his name.